Hi everyone, I'm Graham Smith and welcome to this episode of the Abolish the Monarchy podcast brought to you by Republic. Today I'm talking to Julia Hartley Brewer, journalist, broadcaster and host of Talk Radio's Breakfast Show. How are you, Julia? Very well indeed, thank you very much. Lovely to be on the show. Um, I, I can just imagine just how many of my listeners will be saying, you present on talk radio and you're an ardent uh, fan of abolishing <laughs> the monarchy and the, the cries of horror that mm. will come up. But um, I can remember no time when I didn't think we should have a not have an elected head of state, but there we are. Well, that's what, uh, yeah, that's something I was going to come up, uh, come to uh, in a moment, actually. But I mean, we we've had plenty of chats on your radio show about this, and um, I think we probably see eye to eye on uh, quite a lot of this. But um, I mean, what uh, I found that people have lots of different reasons for wanting to get rid of the monarchy. I mean, what's your sort of main motivation? Is it just about principle? Is it about the the way the palace behaves? Is it the constitution? I mean, what is it for you that uh, that persuades you? Oh, for me, it's very much about principle. I, I'm a Democrat. I believe in accountable government and democracy. It's one of the reasons I know something you and I don't see eye to eye on is the issue of Brexit. Uh, I, I believe in self-determination and, and accountable government and, and the people having the final say. And I just think fundamentally in a 21st century democracy, frankly, I felt the same way in the 20th century, um, to have a head of state who is chosen not even chosen, who's just there because of who their parents were from one family, um, I think is really quite bizarre. I, I think the idea of wanting to not have the monarchy um, is, is a really obvious um, thing to believe in if you believe in democracy and accountability. And to, to think it's okay for one family, purely because of where they were born, to live in palaces and somehow be regarded as above us in some way and have any role, no matter how much it is uh, only you know in writing, in, in, in theory, rather than actually in practice in day-to-day -day politics, in any way set above us, in any way having any power over us at all, when they have not been elected and not accountable, I think genuinely is quite bizarre in this day and age. Yeah, and I, well, there's a couple of things. That, I mean, I, I, I think this is fundamental to me as well, the principle and, and the attitude and the culture that goes with it, the deference. I mean, I, you know, I lived in Australia yes. for a long time and I spoke to an Australian, my counterpart actually in the Australian Republican movement yesterday for this podcast. And he, he said that uh, in Australia, it's kind of, I think the phrase he used was, you know, Jack's as good as his master. You know, you look each other in the eye, you call each other by your first name, no deference and bowing. And I think the monarchy must do something to our psyche in this country that, uh, that maybe doesn't give us that sort of self, same level of self-respect. Yes, absolutely. I, I don't think anyone, and I certainly was, I was brought up by my parents and bringing my child up, I don't think anyone is beneath me, but I also don't think anyone is above me. I can respect people for what they have done, what they have achieved, what they say, what they do, um, uh, their status, if they've achieved it, you know, an academic or, or, or a business person or, or, or a nurse or whatever it is. But, but the idea that someone is somehow innately above me through birth as opposed to anything they have done themselves or that they have a status that that ranks higher than me or indeed anyone else I, I again I instinctively find that troubling and 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 ever so slightly repulsive to be honest with you and I've often been told by people oh well if you had a chance to meet the queen you'd be very excited to meet her and again I mean no disrespect to the queen whatsoever there is no one in this world to whom I would I would curtsy no one at all never going to happen never going to never in my lifetime um but I wouldn't show the disrespect to her of being you say in 
her home and, and not doing it. I just won't accept an invitation. But no, I, I've I've never understood um, the urge that people who in every other area of life would demand respect and insist on equality, particularly people on the left in politics, who then suddenly, as soon as there's someone with HRH in their title, not just Her Majesty, um, the Queen will, will, will suddenly just go to completely to pieces and, and start burbling like idiots. <laughs> I mean, I... I Ironically, I got my Duke of Edinburgh award when I was in, uh, I was about nineteen, and I went to St James's Palace, and um, Prince Philip came along to. Uh, well, he didn't present the award; he came along and spoke to us briefly, um, and uh, there was an Olympian there to actually prevent, present the award. Um, uh, Robin Cousins uh, is the name that most people probably wouldn't yes, remember, I remember nowadays, him. but uh, yeah, back in the eighties. Um, We're showing our age now, Graham. I, I know, <laughs> I know, I am a bit. It's a bit, a bit sad, but. Um, I, you know, I, I just wasn't that impressed by Prince Philip, and I, I, uh, I was far more impressed by meeting Robin Cousins, someone who's actually achieved something, and you know, been awarded medals that he's actually earned through his own efforts, uh, rather than the ones that decorate Prince. Uh, Prince yes, Philip's indeed. Chest. And, and well, one of the reasons also that <clears> I, I'm very uncomfortable with the the, the royal family as, as an institution, quite apart from having one person as the head of state in the Queen. And again, I've got lots of time for the Queen in terms of how the way she's carried out her duties over the years. I, I like the fact we don't really know what she thinks about anything that she uh, she keeps uh, her you know uh, herself sort of you know above that that political fray and absolutely however it's this whole the whole entourage of the entire family we're always told mm. oh prince charles wants to you know have a smaller royal family but that's only because of the embarrassments of all the the other uh, hangers on the prince andrews and the prince michael princess michaels of kents and whoever on earth they all are but but also it's the idea that these children that have been born you know, archie to harry and and megan and to and uh, was it uh, I'm trying, I'll see if I can remember them all George, Charlotte and Louis uh, for William and Kate the fact that these children are born into the world and through no fault of their own they are told what they're going to be and what they're going to do and every single thing they ever do will eventually be publicly scrutinised and people can say well that's the fault of the media well actually it's the fault of the people who claim to love the royal family who are desperately defensive of the royal family and then buy every single magazine and read every article and watch every tv show that um, infringe on their their their, their personal and private space uh, they fuel that that paparazzi interest the, the 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 value that goes with them and it does mean that you know the, these young children you know we're going to know about their friendships we're going to know about their the boyfriends and girlfriends and and every bad fashion choice and every every breakup and every every unfortunate outbreak of acne i mean we, we Every single thing is going to be in the pu- the public domain, and I wouldn't impose that on my own worst enemy, let alone a child. At least the likes of Meghan, and to a certain extent, you know, Kate as well. They knew what they were getting into. They they knew what life would be like if they married into the royal family. Um, whereas these children are, are innocent, they're so born into it, and yes, they'll have a lovely, privileged life. But I've got to be honest with you, it's not a life I would want. It's not a life I would choose. And I think to impose that on children in any other walk of life, to say, this is what you're going to be, this is what you're going to do for your entire life, would be regarded as child cruelty. But if they're in a palace, we think, oh, aren't they privileged? I, I don't I don't envy them one minute. And I do think that, I mean, I think there are signs that this is uh, not... Um, helped William and Harry. I think that there are signs that they are no, not as 
sort of rounded and and uh, what's the word? Um, well, well, as happy and well balanced. Yes, that's, as that's they what could I was trying be. to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think look, losing. I think losing your mum <clears> at an early age. I don't think one could ever underestimate how big that is. But again, to do it in public, to be forced, as we've since discovered from Harry, to be forced to walk behind your mother's coffin as these. I'm sorry, ghastly people wept and wailed out loud about uh, the death of a woman which they, who they'd never even met, showing their grief uh, in imposing it on the children of that woman. I mean, again, I was fairly repulsed by that as well. No, it's... um. I, I just don't think I don't think it's healthy for the people in the royal family. I mean, they're always going to be rich people and people who get to live a different life from us. That, that, I'm perfectly happy with that. That's that's how life is. Life isn't fair. But but I don't think it's healthy for them. And I don't think it's healthy for us as a nation. And I don't think it's healthy for the people who who admire these people because I I can't work out what it is they're admiring mm. of these people other than the fact that they happen to have been born. To the right parents mm. or married into the right family and i think that's a very strange thing to admire it's, people it's a for. strange sort of uh, dual relationship because on on the one hand you've got these fans who complain about the way that the royals are treated but yes. they're treated like that as you said because the fans are demanding to know everything about them and then you've got the royals who complain about the way they're treated but then they you know get upset when they're not getting the the coverage they want so yes. you know what is it they want i mean i, I think it seems like they are locked in this kind of horrendous embrace which they can't get out of. And well, we know what they want. They want, we know with Harry and Meghan and William Kate and all mm. of them, what they want is public uh, is, is publicity, mm. uh, which is on their terms. Mm. And that's, I think, one of the other big issues, which is that these are people who do play a role in our national life, in mm. steer, attempting to steer our national psyche and, and, and our values, at the same time, not expecting any scrutiny. And we see this in terms of the, the way that politicians are covered in this country, quite rightly being scrutinised and questioned and uh, and 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 their their statements being fact checked and doubted, mm. um, and and not being fawned over. Um, but but when it comes to the royal family, you have royal correspondents. Who, I mean, with all due respect to a lot of them, and I do consider some of them friends. Mm. Um, it, it's frankly laughable. It's not journalism. It's it's basically PR on behalf of the royal family. The the dressing up in in pretty dresses as if they are guests at a royal wedding to cover a royal wedding. The the way they talk about the royal family, um, having been briefed by flank flunkies um, as if as if they've spoken to the royal family themselves as if they know how these people feel with no regard whatsoever to what is or is not likely to be true even for instance the queen's broadcast to the nation uh, about coronavirus which I, I genuinely thought was a superbly written absolutely superbly written broadcast and the the will meet again reference was very clever and and, and very well delivered but the idea that the queen wrote this of course with a little bit Indeed. of help from her private secretary and not her team of, of advisors. I mean, I mean, let, let, you know, don't don't insult our intelligence. Yeah. You know, we know that that was very very well written by a, someone probably on a six figure salary, employed to make the royal family look good. And and yes, there is a time and a place for that, given that she is head of state at the current time, um, for that to happen. But it's it's the lack of questioning and scrutiny that yes. that I find very bizarre. And we're told that the royal family are very 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 popular, but as soon as there is any scrutiny. Those members of the royal family who receive that scrutiny, whether it is Harry and Meghan or whether it is allegations about Prince William and his private life or, or Prince Andrew and, and his repulsive relationships with the paedophiles, um, I'm, then it's funnily enough that, that those people are not very popular very soon. So Indeed. if we perhaps had normal scrutiny of, of our head of state and the family, who were not, if they were not royal family, I think people's views would change very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I... 
I found the reaction to the Queen's message quite extraordinary. And obviously I, I upset Piers Morgan and quite a few other people by, <laughs> by tweeting about it from a public uh, Twitter account. I mean, I, I do think that ultimately it was obviously written by someone else and it was it was well written. Um, and I certainly don't begrudge anybody who did take comfort from it. But I, I think that the way in which it's reported is just that the lack of questioning and the lack of honesty about, you know, where it came from and who was writing it and so on. And the notion. And perfect. These are perfectly legitimate points yeah. to make. But this is the situation. This is the mm. unsophisticated conversation that we have about our head of state in this country. If you say, for instance, you know, I'm, I'm a Republican. I would mm. say Republican with a small R. I, I mm. you know, you want to abolish the Queen? Well, no, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have her executed. <laughs> I, I can have perfect respect for somebody yep. who has been born into that institution, mm. uh, done the job very well. Not a big fan of many of the younger royals. I've got to say, uh, in terms of their ability to do their duty however um, um that's not that doesn't have to be a criticism of a an elderly woman who does clearly have a very strong sense of duty it but it, it you are allowed to have a conversation where you criticize the institution itself its accountability its cost its uh, its role um, and the fact that everything is instantly greeted as oh oh but you're horrible to the queen <laughs> as opposed to you know you, any other debate about any other institution in this country you, you can know, have the, a sensible conversation about the queen is our head of state so i think it's entirely i mean you know i get what you're saying about her and and a lot of people share that view but i mean it's entirely right that we should be able to freely criticize the queen and to hold her to the same standards that we hold you know the prime minister or any other um person in public office but the, the reaction it wasn't just the the fawning from the media but the also speaking on behalf of everyone else saying announcing that the whole country would be you know moved and drawn together and all the rest of it and uh, also then extending that to the commonwealth now i, I was amazed yesterday when i spoke to sandy Bayer from the australian republican movement that uh, apparently two-thirds of australians aren't even aware that the queen is their head of state so um and they were rather annoyed a couple of australians i spoke to rather annoyed that the message didn't really make any reference to them but they got a letter so uh, which uh, offered that's all right then but, but this is the thing we, we always see these figures don't we you know was it 24 million people watch yeah. the queen give her address at eight o'clock on sunday evening mm. yes but i mean i watched the address and you know i put the alarm on my phone to make sure i didn't miss it uh, at eight o'clock um uh, but i but i'm but i'm still a republican um millions and millions of people would have watched that address because it was frankly the only thing on the telly at that time it was on virtually every single channel on all the news channels but all broadcasting uh, you know other than the satellite channels you know were, were showing this of course people watched it it was played out in the news uh, you know uh, afterwards um, in, in, and we have this when we have royal wedding figures as well you know oh you know 30 million people watched it it was on all day on three or four channels there wasn't anything else to watch and they even count among those figures anyone who put the telly on for two minutes went oh it's still the royal wedding and turned it off still counts as a figure um, and I and, and if you actually think about it, Sunday night during a lockdown, yep. when people have nothing else to be do, nowhere else to go, and it's um, been trailed and, for and, three and days, it's on every single channel, hmm. it's quite bizarre yep. that the figures were though that they were that low. And I think that's very, very telling. But I think we are in a situation. I think Britain's a bit different from America, at least. Thankfully, I mean, you can't get elected in America without uh, being a Christian, without being God fearing. I mean, even Donald Trump, who quite clearly is a man who's never gone near a church in his life or read the Bible. I mean, he's never been able to quote a Bible passage. He he loves or likes or can even recall um and yet and yet he has to pretend to be uh, a believer as as does everybody else um and but i think we are we're not far from that territory here in the uk where it's almost almost socially wrong 
to say to say that you are a Republican. And I know I get a lot of anger, uh, more than about anything else, from from people. Um, oh, okay, other than Brexit, people on my timeline, <laughs> on, on my Twitter yeah. feed. You know, two hundred ten thousand followers, and a lot of them uh, will follow me because they agree with me. A lot of people because they disagree with me. But people being really, really cross that on this issue they disagree mm. with me, mm. and I always think, well. But but this is not a, this is not inconsistent with the other views that I espouse about mm. accountable democratic government. Reason I don't want to be in the EU. Why I'm perfectly happy for the Scottish people to have Scot- have independence if that's what they vote for. I I I think these things are all completely consistent with mm. each other. Absolutely, and I I, I mean I, I think there's a, a slight shift in the sense that I think that you know whatever else we might say about Jeremy Corbyn's uh, leadership, it's maybe um, made a bit of room for this. I mean, the fact that Lisa Nandy during the election of the Labour leader very matter-of-factly said that she would get rid of the monarchy, she's a Democrat, and she's now the Shadow Foreign Secretary. So maybe there's a little bit of a shift there. I think. Yes. Uh, well, Keir Starmer, the new Labour leader, mm. he has in the past uh, talked about you know being, being in favour of abolishing the monarchy. Mm. Um, but of course, I think once you get a knighthood, <laughs> I think maybe your views <laughs> yeah. might have changed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that he probably is instinctively Republican, but um, I, whether he would say that in public and, and mm. again, it's one of these things you know, politicians have an awful lot of other things to worry about particularly at the moment obviously so that it's not something they're going to wade into and that's really um, up to people like me to put it further up on the agenda but um have you i mean you said you wouldn't accept a, an invitation have you met any of the royal family met any of the royals um no I, I did actually many years ago about get an invitation when a whole load of political journalists and newspaper editors were invited to windsor castle uh, to an event hosted by the queen and um I, again i did decide it was you know we all ha- we all went along it was you know you expected to go by your newspaper uh, i did decide that i would just avoid meeting the queen i mean it was very easy to avoid it was a very crowded uh, very very large hall um because i just thought I, I'm not going to as I say I'm not going to disrespect her in her own home. If one is expected to curtsy or bow um, in her home, then I, I just I'll just avoid meeting her. And, I, and most people who have an opportunity to meet the Queen would be think would think I I was crazy to do that. But I, I, it genuinely, with you know, with all due respect, leaves me cold. And I've met an awful lot of uh, you know presidents and prime ministers and and celebrities and important people along the way. But it, it just left me cold. Hmm. And. Just to go back to an earlier point, I mean, this is something which you've always felt since for as yes. long as you can remember. I, I can't remember ever thinking it was a good idea that one family should be, <laughs> in, in you know, have some sort of role in charge of the country. Yeah, I, I think it's um, it's it's just a very strange idea that that. That, that this shouldn't be open up to to everybody to to represent the country, and then we're told that we need the continuity, aren't we? And, and that's an important thing. And a number of members of my family who are very much sort of on the left, and 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 it, it, it would certainly be consistent with their general political views that they would be in favour of not having a royal family. And yet, to a man and a woman, they keep saying to me, "Yes, but what's the alternative?" And they constantly have the refrain, "Oh, well, I'd rather have the Queen than President Blair," which rather defeats the object of the exercise which is but we get to have a say and if the majority of the country didn't want president tony blair then president tony blair wouldn't happen and this is this is the key thing and anyway i'd be perfectly happy for the queen or in the future prince charles or prince william to run for election and i'm pretty darn sure the queen would win 90 percent of the vote but but i'd like her to run for election i mean this is a i mean i get this obviously all the time you know i don't want president blair i mean you know the fact that I've only met one person that would want President Blair. I mean, he's very. Was that Tony Blair? 
<laughs> no, I think it was a, a new Labour spad or someone like that. Someone who's obviously quite keen on him. But I mean, uh, I don't even think Tony would want the job. I don't think it would no, pay absolutely. well enough for him. No. I mean, I, 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 it wouldn't come up with with much power. Um, well, I, one would hope not. No, but uh, <laughs> but the thing is, you know, by default, by you know, the logic of it is. It, you wouldn't get him if no one wanted him, you know. And uh, and if he, if people did want him, then absolutely it should be him, you know. You know, so. and what about you know President Joanna Lumley, a president? <laughs> I mean, there there are plenty of people. I'm, I'm yeah. thinking back to you, uh, Mary Robinson, uh, yes. president of, of the Republic of Ireland, incredibly popular figure, mm. very sort of above politics, um, above the political fray, a very you know unifying figure, terribly dignified, mm. um, and and not forced to do it from life. We don't know, you know, all her her teenage indiscretions and things, um, and. Her her family doesn't have to be sort of completely sort of, you know, forced into the the, the whole role as well. Um, I thought that was the absolute, mm. you know, perfect um, way of sort of modelling a presidency for us in the future. I, I think that's absolutely the key thing. And also, I think the key thing is we don't need a whole family, just the one person or or, or a couple. That's that's more than enough. Thank you very much. Absolutely, and I do think. I mean, the Irish. Uh presidents over the last 30 years I think have been exceptional and Mary Robinson of course was the first woman to have the post uh, followed by Mary McAleese who's the first president from the north of Ireland and then uh, now we have Michael D Higgins who's hugely popular um, gets the same sort of poll ratings that the Queen has uh, in this country um, and really shows us that you know if you allow that I mean this is directly elected you know they had I think you know six or seven candidates in 2011 when Michael D Higgins won Um, they had a really interesting and vigorous debate and it was just after the um you know during the whole sort of recovery from the economic crash so there's a lot of political change but this was a different election where it's about you know where ireland is that you know what sort of country do you want to be and in, in a way these heads of states were also opportunities to reflect that by choosing someone yes. else for a different generation and then we've yes indeed. that's the big thing we've lost this opportunity for the last 70 years with the same person all the way through from 1952 yes and and the funny thing is the amount of time i hear the queen being praised for her longevity and it's <laughs> almost I mean, quite I mean, almost sort of laughable but, you know but she's she's counted prime ministers in and counted them out but she's still there do you think um that's because she doesn't have to stand for election. Yeah. Of course, she's still there. That's the whole point. I can see a very strong argument for continuity. Um, and uh, you know, we, we've had all the arguments also about uh, the, the 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 role of a monarch in in standing up for you know for the people at crucial moments. We saw that with you know the Spanish king with uh, you know the Franco and like. But do you know what? I mean, the the record is not very strong on that front in other countries. Uh, our our constitutional democracy. Um, uh, uh, you know, Constitutional monarchy has has survived because of the consent of the people. Now, well, while there is still consent for uh, the monarchy, I think Republicans like you and me are going to have to accept that it will continue for some time. I mean, certainly under the Queen, I think there is a, a, a national loyalty to her. But the big question mark is what happens when Prince Charles. Uh, takes over the throne and one of the things I've always found really again very bizarre the number of monarchists arch monarchists who who don't for instance want Prince Charles to be happy with Camilla how dare he you know how dare he not love the woman he was pretty much forced to marry because uh, uh, because he had to have the appropriate sort of virgin bride who was 19 years old how dare he do the dirty on her Um, how dare he ever find happiness afterwards but but the idea that we should skip a generation because mm-hmm. they don't think he's he's the right person for the job. They want to go straight to Prince William. And again, 
completely missing the entire point of a monarchy, yep. uh, which is that you don't get to choose who it is. You have yep. to take the rough with the smooth. And if you want a choice, then you want a republic. I mean, that's the logic <laughs> of it, really. I mean, I could do. I mean, the, this thing about you know the, how long the Queen is. You know, the, um, I was doing an interview. I think it's on Daily Politics a couple of years ago, and I was told at the end, well, you know, she certainly has staying power. It's like, well, you know, she has no, <laughs> she has no choice really, unless she makes the extraordinary decision to step down. But I, to my mind, if anybody in a democracy, if you know, longevity in office is usually a sign of something not quite working properly, whether it's the opposition being dysfunctional or, you know, someone being, you know, sort of doing things that... Yes, you know, like, I, mean, uh, I mean, Vladimir Putin, indeed, he's got yeah. longevity in yeah. Russia. How's that working out yeah. for everyone? In, in healthy democracies, you have change, and that's just reflecting the reality of politics. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think... I do think that... I mean, you said that obviously it's going to change in the future. I mean... The Queen is how old is she now? Ninety four. Um, yes. And you know, it's. I don't want to be morbid, but I mean, you know, this is an institution based on births, deaths, and marriages, and I think that you know, it's unlikely she'll still be Queen at the end of this decade. And I think Prince Harry and Meghan have really uh, done something which I think is going to have longer term implications in terms of showing people a being a reminder of this slightly different. I guess slightly more colourful couple on the other side of the Atlantic, and also showing the rest of the family that there is a way out. <laughs> um, well, you say that. I, I mean, look again. If they, if, if Harry and Meghan had wanted a way out, they said, you know what, we we just don't want to be public working royals. We're just going to disappear off and live in our cottage, or or live on the other side of the world, and we just don't want to be public figures. It's not for us. We just want to have a, a normal, happy life with our children. Do you know what? I'd have been the first to applaud them and say, good luck to you, well done. Um, the point is, as you say, they did want it to be colourful. They want they want all the all the good side of being these royals, but also and none of the downside of the duty side of things they just want to be, they want to be celebrities but i think again they have shone a very unwelcome light on the royal family and a lot of people were saying when uh, harry married Meghan, that you know, she was a film you know film star i mean she wasn't i mean i i, I recognized her from the tv series suits she's not even a very good actress with all due respect to her um and um, um and, you know she wasn't well known before she was with harry for most people but uh, the reality is that you know this this has shown that actually when you bring celebrities into the royal family and try and play that game with your Insta accounts and the like, actually, you then get treated like celebrities and uh, all the rules about how you treat the royals are then go out the window and that's when it all goes wrong. But I think likewise um, with you know with Prince Andrew, what has been exposed with not just what's happened with him, with, uh, with um, Jeffrey Epstein, his relationship with him, but also with Harry and Meghan in terms of the financing of their lifestyle, is that the British people have gone, hold on a minute. You know, how much does it cost for us to fund your lifestyle? How much money have you got? What do you do in return for it? What sort of this jetting around with billionaires borrowing their private jets and then talking of duty? Um, I don't think it's going to sit very well and certainly not with people who've been going through the coronavirus lockdown, losing their jobs and then seeing Harry and Meghan making a statement about how well, we're going to see how we can contribute. But here's our new website. All this talk again of, you know, we're all in this together and, and the Queen talking about how difficult it is in her address to the nation on Sunday. The reality is we're not all in this together. Look, you know, I'm, I'm very privileged. I've still got my job. My husband's got his job. Uh, we have a nice home. We've got a big garden. We, we've got money in the bank. We are incredibly lucky and, and we are thanking our lucky stars every single day. And there are a lot 
lots of people who are really struggling in, in, in difficult situations, perhaps with domestic violence, in, in, in cramped homes, they've lost work, really, really, really difficult situation. Meanwhile, you've got the royal family saying, you know, we're, we're here for you. Living in palaces, um, traveling, by the way, to their second, third or eighth homes against the, the explicit government advice that people should not be doing so. Um, they've all done that uh, during this outbreak um, and traveling to their homes um, and, and, and living a life way beyond in most people's even conceptions of how life could be, with, with presumably still with all their staff working, who they obviously assume are essential workers, um, able to live a very nice lifestyle with no financial worries whatsoever, uh, having to do a few, I don't know, Skype, Skype uh, presentations as, as uh, William and Kate have done. And that's it. Um, you know, the reality is we're not all in this together. And and, and I, I think the royal family are going to, frankly, they're going to have to up their game a hell of a lot in the coming weeks and months and years uh, if the, for the British people not to feel quite resentful that, that, that we aren't all in it together. Yeah, and I think the coronavirus crisis has really thrown up a lot of these issues of inequality and um, uh, theirs is what you might call a splendid self-isolation. But um, it... Uh, I mean, someone said the other day, you know, all we've got from the Queen is a, a letter and a video. I mean, that's sort of, uh, however good you might think those are written, I think that's, you know, what else have we got from the world in terms of uh, support, practical support, um, you know, moral uh, leadership and so on. I think that there are lots of questions about the role they're going to be playing. And I mean, there's there's been a lot of rewriting of history of course about the royals uh, during the war as well and there's a yes um, professor Stephen fielding who's written about this uh um in terms of the sort of the way it's portrayed in media and t in film and tv oh, is this the queen um, mother refusing to leave london because yeah, she wanted to whole, stay with but by all accounts she was told you're not leaving london you're staying where yeah. you are an old king's speech uh, film and this this new narrative that arose about ten years ago that you know the king was holding us together. I mean, you know, and and this is the point that I was going to say come back to about uh, the queen's message is that some of the journalists were saying, oh well, you know, this is a speech that only the queen could have made. A politician couldn't make a speech like this. And I, I thought, how many politicians, including Churchill, who is the one, not the king, the you know, Churchill's the one that we remember for making those inspiring speeches. I mean, so many politicians have made memorable speeches. Yes. Uh, uh, whether it's people like you know uh, Kennedy or um, people like. Uh, you know Mandela or even well, oh Aaron yes Palmer. or I mean, Tony Blair in yeah. the wake of Diana's death you yeah, know the they, people's princess and all of yeah. that but this is the thing exactly and it's this idea that and again because there's no scrutiny because there's no questioning and no dissent is allowed because you're constantly told I mean and I saw your your tweets I, I remember defending you on Twitter yes. with someone saying <laughs> now's not the time Graham and you went well what and I said to I said reply to that person well when is the time yeah. well you, you know you're, you're not I mean, you're not wishing evil or bad on, on anybody mm. you're simply saying you know is is this enough is this enough from a head of state at this time is, is this is this something we should be questioning but because there is no questioning it then we're told well you know th this is the only person who can make uh, this deliver this message but as you say there's no reason why other than the fact that, of course he was on his way to hospital at the time uh, why boris johnson as our elected prime minister he may not have had everyone's votes whether you voted for him or not whether you know whether i voted for him or not i don't agree with everything uh, boris johnson thinks or says or does or believes in you don't have have to uh, for someone to at a particular moment try to encompass perhaps majority feeling at any one time and to speak for a nation but to a certain extent there's a 
it's, I think it's a bit strange in, in a modern democracy for us to expect that one person can represent a nation, can embody those feelings and those thoughts for everyone uh, at any one time. I, I don't think I mean, you can you can perhaps um, reflect a majority view, but not necessarily everybody's view. I think that's impossible in this day and age. I think what's what's important, and I think this has certainly come through with this current crisis, is the 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 simplicity that really cuts through is people that can empathize and that you think okay they go they are going through this together and i think that i mean keir starmer's acceptance of the leadership speech that he had to do to camera um and put out he made some comments which i thought were more moving about you know recognizing that we are missing each other and and all the rest of it and rishi sunak the the, the chancellor of the exchequer made similar comments a couple of weeks ago when i think when he was announcing the budget about you know we will get through this there will be an end and people were commenting at the time and you know these will all appeal to different people but they it, it feels more real because they are people that are probably more connected to our daily experience than someone who is um introduced as is living in this enormous castle in, in Windsor. Yes, and the interesting point was we were told again this 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 broadcast from the Queen was was incredibly significant because it was only the fifth time that she'd mm. done it. And and I thought, gosh, in 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 a reign <laughs> spanning many, many decades, yeah. other than speaking to the nation um, uh, on, on Christmas Day. I'm always abroad on Christmas Day, so I never right. see it anyway. But and, and I have to say I wouldn't choose to break off from I my, my, my Christmas, Christmas drinking and eating <laughs> to do it. But but I I thought I thought what well, that's extraordinary that mm. this person is supposed to be so pivotal to our daily life mm. and, and we only hear from her once a year yeah and this is, i mean this, this thing about you know this is only the fifth time or whatever it was uh, being reported as if it's some kind of virtue and i thought yes. really i mean you know that's but, that's, but that's isn't someone everything? not turning up to work you know i mean you know Everything is reported as some kind of virtue, and that's yeah. the thing. And again, if pol if we if we actually um, political journalists reported on politicians' activities in the same way, I mean, there's even criticism of Boris Johnson at the moment uh, for 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 getting coronavirus. Some of the questions at the press conference have been about the lack of social isolation and him mm. shaking hands at a hospital. Criticism of Chris Whitty, uh, the chief medical officer, uh, who's been standing at podiums and therefore has been politicised for him getting the virus and sort of showing a lack of uh, of of, of you know following the government's uh, activities i mean people have been criticized for getting a very very infectious virus because mm. they're politicians um, and yet there is no criticism whatsoever <laughs> of the royal family unless they do something really really bad like you know send an email to the queen saying i don't want to be in the royal family anymore like yeah. prince harry i mean it's it's it's, it's interesting the double standards that we have it, if our if, politicians were, were treated with such deference they'd probably be more popular too yeah I, well indeed and this is where the popularity essentially comes from but I mean, if you're going to say to someone, you know, now it's not the time, I think you might say it when someone starts criticising someone for getting the coronavirus whilst in uh, intensive care. So I don't I think that might be when you tell someone now is not the time rather than sort of saying, oh, no, you can't criticise this other person who's perfectly safe, you know, and uh, um, she's a head of state. But somehow it's it's wrong to it's almost like, you know, the whole nation is rallying behind the Queen. And so for, how dare you criticise her? And this is one of the other things actually, particularly on this occasion, irked me a little bit it's like well we're all in this you know we've all got a stake yes. in this and we've all got um family and you know i've got elderly parents i've got my brother works in a and e no it, it, we all have concerns very real concerns so no one is able to say any, to anybody at this stage you know that's not okay it's like well i'm, I'm sorry but <laughs> we we all yes. have a stake in this and we all have a yeah right and, to and, and also you know 
at a time when we are having such incredible infringements of our civil liberties mm. for very good reason I'm, I'm obeying the lockdown to mm. the letter absolutely however at, at this time um, that's exactly when we must make sure that uh, uh, we do maintain things like you know freedom of speech and freedom mm. to debate and, and people shouldn't be shut down from mm. giving their opinion I mean like, I disagree with lots of people on lots of different issues I've never once said you shouldn't say that mm. and I think there's uh, you know there's a uh a lot of comparison with uh, between this crisis and the war and you know people sort of saying oh well you know you wouldn't have had this kind of criticism then well of course you did and you know people were certainly very critical of Churchill and certainly in the first year of his prime ministership because people were very scared and they're very worried about where it's all going well um, people also forget there was an awful lot of criticism of the royal family both mm. before during and after the war uh, this is the thing we're often told you know th this is a new thing it isn't um, there mm. have been many times in the past when there have been very big question marks of the mm. future of the royal family because of uh, what they have done or what they have failed to done or failed to do failed to have said over the years and there is a very strong undercurrent not perhaps of what you and i would call republicanism people wanting actively to abolish the uh, the, the monarchy and replace it with an elected head of state um but just a a general a very strong feeling i think and we see this with prince andrew we see this with prince harry where there is this deference and there is a level of interest and a level of respect but that is it's very flimsy it's a yes. very 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 thin layer of ice above an ocean of of um, hold on a minute how much are we paying for you and what do we expect from you yeah. and, and, and I do think the, the royal family are rather more aware of that than perhaps a lot of the people who are reporting on them yes absolutely I, I mean I, I've always said that the support for the monarchy is high but quite shallow and I think yes. that people are, are, are quick to turn if they've got uh, the right prompts and the right reasons I mean I, someone was actually tweeting um uh, polling results from the 1940s um, the, the question was asked you know who which of these figures do you find inspiring and there was a number of people this is from like 1945 I think and Churchill obviously came up on top three percent chose the king and queen and um, you know, they all had a, the opportunity to choose the king and queen over and above many other people. Um, yeah, I think so. they, that was around the same where people were saying they admired their wife. I think it was three percent for the king and queen, <laughs> and it was three percent for your wife. Only one percent for husbands, which tells you quite a lot about uh, people's views. And, but no, but this is it. Yeah. A, a lot of the, a lot of the, the sort of the deference, a lot of the, you know, the, what's in the history books uh, about um, and and in the and the report, royal reporting is is frankly just made up. Mm. It is simple as that. It's just made up. It's just entirely um, concocted view that, that the entire country is utterly besotted with the royal family as one and with the Queen individually and with the institution and can think of nothing else. Now, I'm sure if there were a referendum tomorrow, most people would vote to maintain the monarchy. But the reason I hear from most people actually is not, oh, they love the Queen, all this and that. It's actually but we're not sure what the alternative would be we're just we just you know if we came up with a better alternative they they look at donald trump they look at you know emmanuel macron they look at and they they they, they can't they can't see an alternative but that doesn't mean that there is a great love of the institution as opposed to and i share this a great respect for the queen um, and i think you can respect someone individually um who's 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 born into a job and has felt a sense of duty, and felt felt they couldn't not do the job, and and has got on with it. And and I've got I've got no criticism in terms of that sort of that that aspect of things. There are lots of aspects of of the monarchy as an institution and the, and the wider royal family. I do have major major issues about major issues also about the the lies about how much it costs us included, but uh, and whether or not someone should be entitled to keep that many royal family royal palaces as well. But but again, I think people are confusing often. You know, a love and respect for the royal family for a 
well, it's better than the alternative. Mm. Absolutely, and I think I think that you know the so much of the support is uh, wrapped up in uh, attitudes towards the Queen and the fact that the Queen is uh, now 94, she's going to die at some point, probably in the next 10 years, um, I think bodes ill for the monarchy generally. And I think I think this issue of, you know, what, does, what replaces it is quite key because once you get a referendum, as we saw in Scotland, once people started imagining and hearing about what the alternative is, support started to go up. And yeah. it didn't go up high enough for the Scottish nationalists, but it, it it got an awful lot of people to think about it for the very first time in their lives. And I've, I've seen this during debates at universities and so on. People change their minds very quickly because they suddenly think about it and they suddenly realise actually there is a perfectly simple democratic alternative. And, uh, yeah. Oh, and also, again, if, if you really do like the royal family, if, you, you know, if you're one of those people who's utterly fascinated by seeing pictures of, of Princess Charlotte uh, mm. taken by her mum... Um, do them the favour of, of, of letting them not be in the royal family and letting mm. them have a private life. I mean, I think genuinely, if you really do like these people, you'd be doing them a favour. And if you, if they do want to be in the limelight, then they can still do that as private citizens. So, exactly. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I think we're, we've more or less run out of time, but thank you very much for coming on this podcast. It's been a really interesting uh, conversation. Absolute pleasure to join you, Graham. Really appreciate it. So thank you for joining us uh, on this podcast. Don't forget, you can find out uh, more about Republic at republic.org.uk, including how you can support the campaign, whether it's by joining, donating or getting involved.